pain from vaccination is common and may contribute to a fear of needles, hesitancy, or non-compliance with immunization. But there are ways to reduce vaccine pain, some more effective than others, and they're not always routinely used. The World Health Organization has said that mitigating pain is part of good vaccination practice. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today we're speaking with Anna Taddeo, Professor in the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy at the University of Toronto and Senior Associate Scientist and Clinical Pharmacist at SickKids. Dr. Taddeo and a team of 25 experts have published an evidence-based guideline in the CMAJ for reducing pain during vaccine injections for individuals of all ages. Thanks for joining me today, Anna. Thank you. This guideline is an update of the previous guideline published in 2010 that focused on reducing pain during vaccine injections, specifically in children. The scope of this one is broader and includes adults. Why did you expand the scope of the guideline? Well, that's a great question. And uh, actually, uh, there were a couple of reasons. One is that there has been an increase in the amount of research done in this area, and we felt we needed to look at it and address it. But um, also importantly, it was the users of our guideline from 2010 that asked us, why are we not including adults in the guideline? Because they get vaccines too, and pain is a concern for them as well. So can we provide some more guidance so we have a more comprehensive guideline that people can use who are vaccinating individuals of all ages? So, Anna, you were in Geneva recently presenting these guidelines. Yes, we were invited to the World Health Organization, uh, the Immunization Secretariat. We presented our guideline recommendations and were very pleased to see that they actually adopted a number of our recommendations for global implementation. So these are the ones that they felt were feasible and could be applied everywhere in all contexts or all settings. So that's really great news for us. It's an acknowledgement that this is important because it's the first time that the WHO actually made a statement about mitigating pain during vaccination and clearly shows people that we need to do something to make this better. And the WHO did say that mitigating pain is part of good vaccination practices. Could you tell us briefly how this expansive guideline was put together? So the guideline was put together by a group of about two dozen individuals or so from across Canada. And we're involved in all different aspects of vaccination. So we include researchers who study vaccines, who study pain, uh, as well clinicians who uh, administer vaccine injections, educators who teach about vaccination, policymakers who actually develop programs for immunization across the country, and as well consumer advocates. And as a group, we decided what interventions we would provide guidance on. So we were informed by scoping reviews of the literature on this topic and questions from our own clinical practices as well as colleagues and our partners. And what we did was we then selected what we wanted to cover. We searched the scientific literature for all the original studies in those identified areas, and then we carried out systematic reviews for all those interventions. And those systematic reviews were then used as the basis for our recommendations. But we didn't just look at what the results of the research synthesis was. We also considered other things, like how strong was that evidence base or how strong was the research? What were the benefits versus the harms of the interventions? As well, what would 
people's preferences be about those interventions? Would they want to use them? And finally, what was the cost or the feasibility of implementing those interventions? Now, in the guideline, you say that techniques to mitigate pain and immunization are not routinely used. Why is this the situation? Well, there are a few reasons, I would say, why pain hasn't been historically optimally managed. So the most prominent reason right now we're finding when we ask people is that they actually in general don't know what they should do or what they can do to manage pain. So we don't really have a systematic way of educating people about this topic, neither the clinicians who are giving the vaccines or the people who are getting the vaccines. So we're not teaching this systematically in uh, healthcare professional schools or training, and we're not teaching parents, and we're not teaching individuals themselves. And if you ask parents, would you want to do something to mitigate pain during vaccination, they would overwhelmingly say yes, as no parent wants to see their child suffer unnecessarily. But the simple fact is they don't really know what they can do to manage pain. But besides not knowing, there is a group of people who have... um, belief, and it's a sort of a historical belief as well, um, that pain is not important to treat. So we often hear people say things like, it's just a poke, or it only lasts a minute. But this belief has been dispelled. We know that unpleasant experiences with vaccination, as well as other needle procedures for that matter, leads people to avoid these procedures in the future. And this also happens across the lifespan. So parents can avoid getting their kids vaccinated because their kids have pain. And when kids are old enough and they become afraid of needles because of negative experiences with pain, they themselves will refuse vaccinations. And then this continues throughout the lifespan. And when you're an adult, you continue to be avoidant of any situation where there might be a needle involved. And then the final reason that's kind of with the second reason about pain not being as important as maybe other things, is the idea that if we did incorporate pain treatments with vaccine injections, that it might somehow slow us down, uh, cost too much money, and we're not really sure how to deal with it. So we have to get the word out about why pain is important to treat and how you can do this without disrupting your practice. And the good news is that most of the recommendations we have in our guideline actually don't cost any time or money, so they can be easily integrated into most current practices. And in my experience, when you have a child in the clinic who's refusing a vaccine, um, not only is it unpleasant for everybody, it does take a very long time. The recommended interventions that are in the guideline fall into five categories, the five P's, procedural, physical, pharmacologic, psychologic, and process interventions. So let's start with the strong recommendations that apply to all age groups. Could you tell us a bit about these? Sure. We have a couple of strong recommendations that fit in the category that you mentioned, procedural interventions. So these are some of the injection techniques that a person who's administering vaccine injections can use. So there are two here. One is for administration of intramuscular vaccines that vaccinators or immunizers avoid a step that we call aspiration. So aspiration was historically part of vaccine injections as a safety measure. So it's a step that involves after poking the needle through the skin, pulling back on the plunger basically looking for any blood that might be coming back in the syringe. And the idea is to check if the needle has landed in a blood vessel. And if it has, to take the needle out and inject somewhere else because the intended route for a vaccine is not to be given in a blood vessel. 
But the reality is the places where we're injecting vaccines are not in places where there are major blood vessels. So this is more a theoretical risk than a real risk. And in fact, we have lots of uh, syringes currently being used around the world that don't even allow for this step. So people can't even aspirate. And we have no adverse effects reported from not aspirating. So the current feeling is that if this is adding pain and is not a necessary step, why are we doing it? And in the research that we reviewed that looked specifically at pain, we did see that there was more pain created from aspirating than if you didn't aspirate. If you add aspiration to the vaccine injection, you will also add more time that the needle's in the tissue, which will add pain. And as well, what happens is um, as soon as a person feels, especially a child, this needle uh, being penetrated through their skin, they'll immediately put their attention on it and maybe start moving. So they'll move their arm if the needle's in the arm or they'll, they'll move their thigh. And then what you have is this needle that's kind of jiggering or wiggling back and forth and actually causing more tissue damage. So you're causing more pain that way. So the second intervention that someone who's giving vaccinations can use to try to mitigate pain is to standardize the order of injection when multiple vaccines are being given at the same time. So we often have a situation where in a single appointment, someone's getting two needle injections or possibly three, and the order that you give those vaccine injections in can make a difference to overall pain. So if you have some vaccines that are more painful than others, it's better to give the more painful ones at the end rather than at the beginning. And that's because what happens is with every subsequent poke or noxious stimulus, the body becomes more and more sensitized to it. So if you start with, a, with more pain at the beginning, you actually end up with more pain. So which vaccines, Anna, would you consider giving last then? So we have a couple of vaccines that have been studied, and one of those is the MMR2 vaccine. Another one is Prevnar. So those are vaccines whereby we would recommend if they were given as part of a series that you would want to give them last. Now, are there any other types of interventions, physical, pharmacologic, or process interventions that apply to all age groups as well? There's another category of interventions that would apply to all age groups in the category that we call physical, which would mean something related to body position and activity. And the one that we would recommend for everyone is a body position that's comfortable and that promotes a sense of control. So for babies, for example, that would mean holding the baby instead of letting the baby lie down flat on the examination table. And for kids, holding them also upright on a parent's lap when they're old enough, possibly letting them sit up on their own. And then in adolescence and adulthood, having people again sitting upright rather than lying down. Now, are there any recommendations? You mentioned a couple of them that, that apply to infants and children. Are there other ones that apply specifically to uh, small children or babies? We have some interventions that apply specifically to infants and young children in the category of physical interventions and uh, as well uh, pharmacological interventions. So the physical interventions are for babies primarily uh, breastfeeding, so breastfeeding is very effective to reduce pain during vaccine injections and other procedures. As everyone knows, breastfeeding is the optimal method of feeding, and it has the additive benefit of reducing infant distress. So this means actually starting right before the needle is injected, carrying it out during needle injection, and continuing afterwards. 
It's not clear how it works, but it could involve the provision of physical comfort, sucking, or sweet-tasting solutions. And all of these appear to have calming effects in babies. If somebody is not able to breastfeed a baby, either a baby doesn't choose to breastfeed or a baby's being fed by an alternative method, then one could substitute breastfeeding with holding and possibly giving a sweet tasting solution. So sweet tasting solutions are commonly used to soothe distressed babies during medical procedures. The most common sweet tasting solution that we use is sucrose, otherwise called table sugar, and otherwise we use glucose. Sucrose is, as everyone knows, commonly included as a flavoring agent in medications that we give to people of all ages, so they mask the taste of medicine and make it easier for the medicine to go down. And in this case, we're basically giving the babies the sugar water or the sucrose without the medicine, but it's actually sucrose itself that's having the benefit. We don't know exactly how it calms babies. It could be that it's just terribly or intensely distracting for children, but it's also possible that uh, this sweet taste activates the body's own pain pathways to reduce pain. Now, in the guideline, you mentioned that there's actually a vaccine that is very sweet tasting, an oral one that could be used in this way. Yes, we happen to have a vaccine now that's administered orally or by mouth, not by injection, called rotavirus vaccine. And it has, uh, not unlike other medicines used for children, uh, sucrose added. And the amount of sucrose that it has is actually in the range and maybe even a bit higher than the amount we would use to calm babies. And we have found also in our review of the literature that if you give this oral rotavirus vaccine before the injectable vaccines, that it actually simulates or it mimics the effects of sucrose. In the guideline, you do mention a whole other category of intervention. It's the process interventions, mainly about education. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So we have a category that we call process interventions, which have to do with educating people who need to know this information about these four P's of pain management. So let's teach them about what they can do for injection techniques, about you know their physical positioning, pharmacologic interventions, and psychological interventions. And let's see if this makes a difference to what they do. And we found across all the important players involved in immunization, this includes clinicians who give the shots, the um, parents of children who get the most shots of anybody of all ages, and as well individuals themselves, that if we teach them about these things, it actually makes a difference. They use these interventions, and a lot of the times they're reporting less fear, less pain, better satisfaction with the immunization procedure. So we strongly recommend that part of getting the word out there, getting people to change pain management practices, involves actively teaching people what they need to know so that they can mitigate pain. And now in older, I think you mentioned in one of the recommendations was in kids up to 12, there were other pharmacologic interventions that could be used. Right. We made a recommendation for young children up until the age of 12 to receive topical anesthetics. Topical anesthetics can numb the skin or block pain perception, and they are very effective, and we recommend them for young kids. Uh, childhood or young childhood is a particularly important time to be more vigilant and, shall we say, more aggressive or assertive uh, and comprehensive in our approach to pain management because kids tend to have a lot of distress during this procedure. 
and they want something to be done. So their primary concern for vaccination or whenever they visit the doctor is, am I going to get a needle? And they're so afraid of the pain. And they also are at the highest risk of any age group to develop a needle fear as a consequence of a bad experience with a needle. So providing them with the most pain care possible, including topical anesthetics, can address their concerns and everyone's concerns for how much distress they have, as well as be a very important preventive measure to try to mitigate against the long-term effects of pain, which are including the needle fears. So presumably for teens and adults who are concerned about the pain, we could probably also offer something like that to them as well, I would guess. Right. So you mentioned adolescents uh, who can be afraid of needles. That actually represents an area where there's a huge uh, knowledge gap in the literature. So there hasn't been a lot of research done on what the best ways are to mitigate pain in that population, but it is a population where vaccinations are really common. In particular, there's a huge gap in the school settings where vaccinations are quite common and the number of vaccines that's being given is continually increasing over time. It's also well documented in this population that pain and fear of pain is a big concern for teens. And in a mass immunization setting, there's a mass anxiety that can occur. So this is definitely an area that we need to put more attention on. And topical anesthetics offer one solution that can be helpful. Uh, we just need to figure out if there's some other things that we might be doing to the setting that could make a difference and how to integrate topical anesthetics in that kind of environment. So there's not enough uh, information for us to be able to give advice, and that's a common question that we get. What do you do or what do you recommend about having peers present? And certainly, uh, if you have a peer that is modeling a sort of a a good experience and not any fear, it might be useful, but it's difficult for us to be able to know what somebody's going to do in that situation. In other words, the risk of people making each other scared seems to be much higher than the risk of a potential benefit from a peer being present. So we're looking into doing some research on this very question and trying to pilot some scenarios in some school settings where we might be able to separate kids so that they can be vaccinated individually rather than in view of others and see if this makes a difference to their fear level and their experience overall. When you were reviewing the literature, were there any other uh, substantial gaps that you spotted? So there's still a lot of sort of things we take for granted. We haven't really evaluated if there's differences in the technical approach that can make a difference to pain. So, for example, we haven't looked at simple things like how fast should you inject? Does it make a difference? What kind of needles you use? Uh, these sort of things, and also maybe looking at uh, different routes of administration for vaccines. So there are some vaccines that can be administered in the muscle and as well subcutaneously, and they work regardless of the tissue that you inject them in, but we haven't even done the studies to see how much different the pain perception would be with those two routes to be able to offer one over another. So Anna, are there any other areas of interventions? Well, another area of intervention that we covered in our guideline was psychological interventions. So these are interventions that are aimed at changing thoughts and behaviors. We know from uh, pain literature that distracting people, for example, taking their attention away from the pain actually minimizes or reduces the pain experience. 
So across all ages, we looked at uh, different distraction techniques that are used, and we found some benefit of them. The good thing about uh, psychological interventions is that a lot of times they don't cost any money. So someone can distract somebody even just with words or verbally. Uh, but it's very important what it is they say because some things that we say can actually make people more anxious while other things can reduce anxiety. So it's sort of getting the words right. But um, certainly in school-age children, distraction is a really big component of how vaccines are delivered and really great approaches to try to get kids' attention away from the needle is active uh, interventions like getting toys involved and getting kids to blow bubbles or pinwheels. So we found in our review of the research evidence that that could be helpful. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Anna. I know that I've learned a lot. I realize that a lot of the things that I do when I immunize need to be adjusted. Thank you. We've been speaking with Anna Taddeo, professor in the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy at the University of Toronto and senior associate scientist and clinical pharmacist at SickKids. To read the guideline, visit cmaj.ca.